and welcome back to a new episode of the StatCast with your hosts, Harrison Friedman and Sam Greeman. Uh, Sam, we just witnessed what was an extremely exciting World Series, followed by, unsurprisingly really, a massive controversy immediately after it ended. But we'll get to that later. But what did you think about uh, how this World Series went? You excited to talk about it? I'm so excited to talk about how intoxicated Rob Manfred looked on the stage. That was that was the highlight of it because man, he's just doing a poor job right now. His stock is going down. The series, oh yeah, there was a World Series that that happened. I was, so, yeah. I was so over. It was so overshadowed by all of the outside uh, stories. But yeah, um, are you excited to talk about it? Yeah, but I mean, man. When is it not? When is there not just like this roiling uh, controversy surrounding what should otherwise be something very fun? We didn't, I don't think we had that with the, the Lakers winning the title. I'm just going to say that. What a bit. Th- there was no story there unless you're like, ah, what would have happened if someone didn't get injured? But this was a great story. Uh, L- amazing for LA. We're going to get into that. But first, Milo Hamilton. Swinging. And welcome back to the StatCast. Um, so we had a really exciting World Series where we went to six games, which was good. The Dodgers won six, as Sam predicted as I said. Mm. on the podcast. I'm just going to say that that was an impressive prediction. I think the Rays would have wanted to have gone to seven, but there's a very specific reason that it did not, at least. Or is it? Is there? We'll see. We'll talk about that. But Sam, before we get into game six talk, what was... The most intriguing thing to you that happened in the World Series before we got there. Um, are you saying what happened in the previous postseason series? No, no, no. What happened in the first five games of the World Series before I mean, we it had get to be, Game Six? Though. It had to be Brett Phillips and Randy Rosarena, uh, yeah. being little kids on the base pads, and the Dodgers. They, I think, they let out all of their choking in that one play, and they didn't have any left for the rest of the series. I mean, it was, we haven't talked about it. So, I mean, just a brief explanation here, as brief as I can make it. Brett Phillips hadn't gotten a major league hit in over a month. And he's being, he pinch hits um, with the tying run on second and the winning run on first in the bottom of the ninth in game four of the World Series. And he gets to a two strike count and gets a base hit. And, the ball is kicked in center field and they send a Rosarena home and he's very going to be very out. And just to add insult to injury, he falls down rounding third base. And then they, so they throw the plate and it should be an easy out, but they screw up the throw of the plate and it gets by the catcher, Will Smith. So Rosarena, the winning run gets up, touches home plate. Insanity happens. Dave Roberts gets mad. Hilarious. Yeah. Dave Roberts caught on camera. Just, slamming his hat down to the ground clearly extremely angry what what a finish that was oh my goodness we like randy rosarena i think would you say this that watching randy rosarena's at bat was probably the most tense moment of like the entire postseason up to that point 
because you know like it's randy rosarena versus kenley jansen you know rosarena like might be hitting a bomb here you know kenley jansen has a tendency to give up ninth inning home runs in the world series or really the postseason overall and then it was more it was more tense watching the brasso get a bat against chapman okay that was a lot of fun that was a lot of fun I, that one i feel like is we now view as more fun because something great happened there but here it didn't that was the kind of crazy part of it like Jansen and Rosarena go toe to toe. Rosarena just stares down Jansen on a very like very good pitch for ball of three that I feel like most people would swing on, but Rosarena doesn't. And then Rosarena just gets a ball that slams into the dirt. He walks to first base and suddenly I don't know. It's yeah, it's a crazy situation for Jansen. Like Sam said, Brett Phillips uh, had zero postseason hits in his career. Uh, it's not exactly a good hitter. He was on the Kansas City Royals not that long ago. Before that, he was on the Milwaukee Brewers. Like, actually, he was the headliner of the Josh Hader trade back when it happened. He was like a sixth round pick in, I believe, 2012 uh, out of high school. And he has not had like a World Series moment or a playoff moment. But just like, you know, sometimes it's a guy like Travis Ishikawa. Sometimes it's a guy like... Um, Tell me, who was the the Cardinal who did that off Kershaw? David Freeze. Oh, oh, the Cardinal, Matt Adams. Sometimes you get a Matt Adams kind of happening, and sometimes you get Brett Phillips just poking a single that gets kicked around, knocked around. Everyone misses it. Everyone drops it. Everyone makes some sort of mistake on the play, and then you get Brett Phillips, yeah, being chased around the outfield. Oh my goodness, what a finish! What a reminded finish! Me, reminded me of the Will Middlebrook's obstruction. Remind me of that. You don't remember the Will Middlebrooks obstruction game? Was this game? like 2013? Yeah, it was the World Series. And okay. this obstruction was called the end the game. Okay, it was, that was several years ago. I'm sorry, I don't remember it. But I remember Will Middlebrooks on the Red Sox at the very least. But I don't know. One, of, one thing that was kind of interesting is that it's the World Series and the Dodgers are in it. So you know we're going to get Jansen blowing a game. You usually also think we're going to like get Kershaw losing a game in heartbreaking fashion or at least contributing... To a loss. Kershaw, in, in his four World Series appearances up to this point, counting specific, like counting, uh, including his one relief appearance in Game 7 in uh, 2017, 2017, yeah, he won his first game, or at least the team won. He His team lost the second game, not the least because Kershaw let up a 3-1 bomb in one of the crazier games we've ever seen. He pitched wonderfully in Game 7 in 2017. The issue is that his team just couldn't hit it all. He lost game one to the Red Sox in 2018, and he lost game five to the Red Sox, the clincher, in 2018 as well. And then he's been really good this postseason outside of just, you know, that one thing that happened that we're not going to talk about, pretend never happened. Uh, he won game one. Tyler Glasnow was bad. Clayton Kershaw was really good. And he won game five, where we had the exact same thing happen once again. And so... I think you are definitely one who has never subscribed to the notion that Clayton Kershaw is any sort of unclutch. And I kind of agree with you, but what was it like seeing him perform the way that he did on a stage like this? I mean, I wasn't concerned that he was going to perform or not. I was concerned with whether Dave Roberts would learn from his mistakes and actually not put him in a game that he doesn't need to or put him in unnecessary danger. And, you know, he's a manager that, you know, finally learned how to when to take out your starting pitcher. So that makes one of them in the series. Yeah. So does that mean that we're going to be talking about uh, game six? Well, I was just stating a fact. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. 
one thing about this series is that although we did have God, one of the best World Series games or best playoff games in a while in Game 4, the rest were not, outside of Game 6, were not exactly especially fun. And even Game 6 isn't, like, crazy because one team was just better than the other team. I don't know if we even had any lead changes outside of Games 4 and 6. We may have had one in Game 5, but I remember that in Game 4, they specifically mentioned that the Rays taking the lead was that the Rays actually had the first lead change in the entire World Series up to that point. But yeah, so let's talk about game six because it was kind of crazy in the way in all of the ways that it happened. Yeah. Um how do we want to break it down? Do we want to go just inning by inning? Yeah, start start at the beginning. I mean Randy Rosarena. Yeah, um, I mean like he hits his tenth home run, Randy Rosarena first inning home run, tenth home run. Very worth noting, 10 home runs in the postseason, 14 RBIs. Yeah, that's how this phrase team works, unfortunately. Yeah, and then nothing happened. Blake Snell just dominated for the next five innings. Honestly, it's like it was a very boring game. I mean, it was fun watching Blake Snell mow down every Dodgers hitter, but it was also not fun watching the Rays just swing through everything. And like Zanino and Adamas are just, it's really hard to watch them hit. Like they could bring up yeah. a seventy inch long bat and a forty foot wide bat and they wouldn't hit him. Yeah. One issue with uh the Rays is that only two players hit had a WRC plus of hundred in the World Series, and that was Kevin Kiermeyer, of all people, and unsurprisingly, Randy Arozarena. So when the entire team isn't really hitting very well, they really only had one game where they tore the cover off the ball, and obviously I guess in Game that was game two, and in game four they also did relatively well in that area, scoring eight runs. But they couldn't get hits. They couldn't get hits in bunches, which has been a real problem with them all playoffs. And against the Yankees, they got out hit. Against the Astros, they got out hit. Against the Dodgers, they got out hit. Not only did they get out hit, they got out slashed. They got out slugged. They basically couldn't do anything. I believe there was like a one fifty difference in between OPSs. Uh, between the, these two teams. And I mean, I don't know. Obviously, the Dodgers are were a full run scored better per game in the regular season than the Rays. The Rays, their best thing that they had was their pitching. But when you have that, then you almost have like no room for error when you have someone like Tyler Glass now just giving you no chance at all in two postseason games. So we're, yeah, we're going to get to like the sixth inning of game six in a second. But we always talk about how every inning could be the most important inning of the entire game, or every inning could be the most important inning of the entire series. Sometimes the game that isn't the last game is actually the most important game of it, even if it's not like the one that comes down to the wire. Is Tyler Glass now like kind of the goat for the Rays after losing games one and five in such disappointing fashion? I I think not a lot of people talked about the fact that he had kind of two stinkers in the World Series and he really wasn't good at all in the postseason past the wild card round. I don't did he even pitch in the wild card round? Yeah, Glasnow, he did pitch. Um he pitched one game, he went six innings, gave up two runs, both solo shots against Toronto, and then against the Yankees, he gives up four runs in five innings. Then the next one, he doesn't pitch very much against in his next one, he Walked a couple guys, struck out a couple guys, went two innings in low when he went on base. Then against Houston, four runs in six innings. And against the Dodgers, six runs in 4.1. And then finally, four runs in five innings against LA. 
And in every single one of his starts this postseason, besides the one where he just went 2.1 innings, he allowed at least one home run. And in all the games, except the one against LA in game one of the World Series, in which he actually allowed the most runs, he allowed two home runs. He actually walked six guys in that game against, uh, in the first game against LA. He walked a ton of guys. He struck out a bunch as well. So it's not like he didn't have like good stuff. It was just kind of wild and much too hittable. Yeah, like it was, he's very much gotten Garrett Cole and Verlander syndrome where he just like gives up a lot of home runs, honestly. But the problem is he also seems to walk a lot of guys and, you know, doesn't have the ability really to command his pitches at an elite level yet. Um, Hopefully that's the next step for him because it's obvious that he has insane stuff, but it's very erratic, more erratic than Snell. As we saw in the World Series, Snell did a lot better job of locating pitches and executing pitches. Glass now just seemed to either miss or just throw the wrong pitch a lot. Yeah, the thing about Glass now is that he's kind of built in the sense that you think he could be a workhorse, like not be the kind of guy who would get worse as the game goes on. Well, meanwhile, Snell is sort of like, I don't want to say he falls off a cliff, but I don't know, the pitch that he threw, the fastball, his last fastball of the night in game six was also his slowest fastball of the night. And we've seen how quickly he, for his third turn in the order, he suddenly like turns back uh, into a pumpkin. And so... Snell or Glasnow? Snell specifically. Glasnow, like, Glasnow is more the kind of guy who you feel like, oh, I feel like he could like build up in games. You know how like power pitchers sort of seem like to sort of rear back and throw even harder, like in like their seventh inning, like a Verlander or a Cole or something like that. Well, I want to in twenty twenty Verland or not Verlander, uh, Snell was better the third time through the order than he was the second time through the order by a small margin. Yeah, but like, and he wasn't that great either time through the order. The second yes, or third but time. that but it still the makes OPS in the seven hundreds both times I believe right. Yeah, it was it was I think it was in the nine might have been in the nine hundreds. Then I may even think it was career stats. But anyway, um, yeah. So yeah, Snell. We're gonna talk about him in a second. Yeah, Glass. Now he was relatively okay in the regular season. He had an ERA of four four oh eight, which is not amazing. He did have some very good starts, including one against the Yankees, where he went six innings, allowed two hits, one walk, and struck out nine back in August. But this is that wasn't exactly usually the kind of thing that he did. And so I, I don't know. If you're the Rays and the guy who's getting two starts in the World Series is Tyler Glass now and not someone like Charlie Morton, who like didn't perform that well in Game 3, but at least I would have trusted him more than Glass now, that's just not really uh, what you're looking for. Because is that really who you want to say that you sent out one a third of the times like of your chances to win the World Series? So the Dodgers just had more firepower. They were able to throw Clayton Kershaw in both of those games. And so not only were they able to like, not only were their hitters able to take advantage of Tyler Glass now, their pitcher was able to take advantage of like the games in which their hitters took advantage of Tyler Glass now. It wasn't some sort of like, oh, this guy's getting hit hard. The other guy's also getting hit hard. And so like the bad starts even out. No, Kershaw locked down, ensured that they won those games and they won them by a relatively healthy margin in either of them. And that's where, where I think they won the World Series. 
Yeah, I think I agree. It's it, they kind of picked their matchups well, and you know the starters very much picked the best time to perform. Um, except for Gonsolin, Gonsolin is just never good. At Listen, Gonsolin's a friggin' rookie. I don't know why they said, "Oh, Tony Gonsolin's the guy we're going to start in two World Series games." That's something the Dodgers obviously like were more quick to hook him and actually were relatively good at organizing their bullpen games. It just didn't work in game two and worked perfectly in game six. So I think the Rays might have almost been like better off taking that kind of strategy against Kershaw. Like maybe start off with some Ryan Yarborough and like throw a couple innings of Tyler Glasnow in like the third and fourth and fifth innings or something like that where like he starts out pitching against the bottom of the order and start, instead of against the top of the order. So he warms up a little bit. But Yarbrough was in a lot of the games this World Series, which yeah. surprised me. Yeah. I mean, he's a good pitcher. He actually induces ground balls, which you really need to do with this Dodgers team, which seems to be able to hit anything and make contact on anything. So, except for Blake Snell, obviously, in Game 6. But uh, is there anything else that you want to talk about that stuck out to you from this World Series before we get into Game 6? Just the fact that the Rays literally only... Effectively, they had seven hitters but they really only had like two that were hitting well yeah and Kiermaier and Rosarena yeah and Lau was decent that one game yeah in uh, and game two Adamas and Zunino just really were horrible yeah man like you look at those lineups the difference between the two I know we went and like we went through and like oh where where do these guys have the advantage where do those guys have the advantage we gave the Rays I think maybe a little too much of an advantage but yeah, Manny Margot couldn't really wasn't really doing all that much. Um, like even though he'd been pretty good this whole playoff so far, Kiermaier obviously was pretty decent in the Rosarena, obviously, but that whole infield, it's just it just stopped hitting entirely. And that's not the kind of thing you want to do when the other team is throwing guys like Mookie Betts and Corey Seager and Justin Turner as their one, two, and three, and Cody Bellinger's in the sixth spot in some games. So I don't know what like one thing that should not be lost on people is that the Rays, people, the of the guys who the Rays haven't aren't like still on their rookie contracts in some senses. The Rays have are paying a grand total of twenty eight million to four players, and that's it. That's those are the only guys they're getting. If they wanted to like get Anthony Rendon and double that, then they absolutely could have. But they made the choice not to spend, not to get better and have more reliable hitting. And they, even if they had literally like Manny Machado and uh, Anthony Rendon playing shortstop and third base instead of Joey Wendell and Willie Adames, then that's they still would not have even had a top 20 payroll in baseball this year. And so if you want to be a team that can compete, then you don't want like one player on the other team to be making more than all of basically of your guys who aren't on rookie contracts and Mookie Betts versus those four guys. That's that's the separation. That's that's the biggest difference. The Dodgers are the Dodgers will spend on everything, and Tampa Bay will try to get there on Guile and Smarts, which can get them pretty far as we've seen. But I don't think it can beat a team as good as LA. Yeah, that's why I'm concerned about the Rays. It was it's kind of not enough of a setback to where they think that they need to like re- reconfigure their plan of all right, we're not going to pay anybody. It's like you know we got to six games. This can be done. But the problem was this was very rare instance in which it worked and you played the right teams in order to get to the, how far you went. 
And it was a very perfect storm of events that got them this far. And I agree. I really just don't think that this current version of Ray's baseball and Ray's uh, front office um, strategy is going to result in a championship. Yeah. Obviously, you could change that. This offseason is a little hard, but maybe you could change. And maybe shortstops aren't really where you're trying to spend. But the Rays have the best farm system in baseball. And we've seen the Dodgers exploit the hell out of their great farm system and prospects to trade for guys like Mookie Betts without even giving up guys like Gavin Lux or Kybert Ruiz or Dustin May or whoever. And now they have Mookie Betts and now they have them locked up on a long-term deal. Well, you, know who the Rays, you know who the Rays should have called up? Who? Wander Franco? Duh. Yeah, Wander Franco I think is going to be very good. I don't know if he's going to be like the guy who hits like 40 home runs for you every year, but I don't think he needs to. He he's, He'll grow into his power, hopefully. He's, yeah, obviously the number one prospect in baseball is, but he's never played above high A, I believe. And so he's not like the solution to all the Rays' problems. They, if they wanted, uh, they, I, could, they could go out this offseason and sign George Springer to a good deal. There's like sign um, Trevor Bauer to a great deal. And I think the Rays and Trevor Bauer would be a great match. But we know they're not going to do that because they're not going to spend any money because their ownership refuses to spend any money. Yeah, I don't even think the Bauer would be a good fit there. I think so just because of the like now Trevor Bauer is a smart guy, even as annoying of a guy as he sometimes is. And I think that that team would have a lot of fun with someone like Bauer. And also what a stable of arms you have then. Cause I mean, Charlie Morton isn't going to last forever, but I don't know if they, like if the Rays absolutely could go out this offseason and sign Trevor Bauer and George Springer and not even come close to really breaking the bank on getting those two guys. But we know that they're not, they're not even going to be remotely competitive for them. So. Yeah. The Dodgers, on the other hand, are going to have Mookie Betts next year and the year after that and the year after that and the year after that. The question really is whether they are able to keep Corey Seager, who is our World Series MVP, because he's going to be a free agent after next season. But that's going to be a story for another day, I think, on the whole, on what happens in the summer, in the fall of winter i guess of 2021 when every great shortstop it seems like is going to become a free agent but let's get to game six back to game six sam what happened in the sixth inning that kind of maybe possibly could have changed everything well i you know it was very dumb to watch it was so aggravating to watch for everybody because just snell had given up two hits and no runs, and had 70-something pitches in the sixth inning, had a one nothing lead, gives up a, you know, like, meek, weak base hit to Austin Barnes, and then Kevin Cash, when, you know, he's now he's now through two times in the order, and the Rays' philosophy is, oh, we don't like having them face the, the, face the lineup a third time, but, so he takes them out. Do you want me to get right into my rant about it, or do you want to say a few things first? Um, I'm just going to say that not only was Blake Snell dealing, but he, so far during that game, so the top three of Mookie Betts, Corey Seager, and Justin Turner were 0 for 6 against him. That's who he was about to face in his third time through the order. Not only were they 0 for 6 against him, they had all struck out swinging against him. They weren't hitting him. They weren't hitting his pitches. That's what Kevin Kiermaier said after the game. They couldn't. It's not like like they were like trying they were starting to figure out Blake Snell. It's that they couldn't figure out Blake Snell and Will Smith getting a hit was more just like maybe a little luck. Maybe a little luck. Maybe. 
versus of uh, Snell legitimately tiring. Although maybe that's not what it was, but I'll let you get into your rant first before I possibly turn it the other way. So Kevin Cash is all about analytics and analytics as a blanket uh, philosophy for him, say to him that pitchers get worse the third time through the order. So the thing was, well, first of all, Blake Snell, as you said, was dealing. And second of all, Mookie Betts' splits against right-hander against left-handers are so bad. He's much worse. I think his OPS is in the 700s against left-handers, um, at least in 2020. Um, and it's over a thousand versus righties. And he looked bad against Snell both both times that he faced him. Second thing is that Snell, as I alluded to before, doesn't get worse going from the second time through the order to the third time through the order. So if the pro if for that for that reason, if you're you know taking him out because two times through the order is enough and three is bad, then like that's just wrong. And, you know, there's stats to back it up. The next big issue was you brought in Nick Anderson. Oh, that's, oh, oh. That, that's that's where it just really just gets bad because Nick Anderson has not looked good at all this postseason. He's getting hit around. Mookie Betts um, likes fastballs. Nick Anderson throws the fastball over 60% of the time and is a two-pitch pitcher. He specifically likes right-handed pitchers who throw fastballs a lot. Yeah. So, you know, he's a perfect matchup for Nick Anderson. Exactly. On top of the fact that Nick Anderson is struggling and is the worst option. He had allowed, uh, I believe he had allowed a run in each of his previous six appearances. Yes. And so his confidence has to be below the floor. And he's got to have, like, he's, there's no way that that's the move you make. Like him saying like, oh, you know, the analytics say that, you know, it was the right move. None of the analytics say that it was the right move. Yeah. Um, One thing that I think we I think we absolutely agree that Nick Anderson was not the right pitcher to bring in. One thing that's kind of if I don't care if you brought in Diego Castillo, I still would have not liked the move. Yeah. And Mookie Betts was over four with the walk. And three strikeouts, we should say, against Blake Snell so far in the postseason. Um, and Justin Turner, um, 0 for 5 total with uh, four strikeouts. Corey Seager, um, 1. The only guy to actually get a hit off him of those top three guys in the order. He had gotten one hit off of him in game two. And otherwise, he had flown out and struck out. So that made him 1 for 5 with three strikeouts. So none of these guys, like are really hitting Blake Snell. And Nick Anderson is, as we've talked about, absolutely getting crushed. So Nick Anderson obviously should be playing less. Nick Anderson is also who they decided to bring in in game two where Blake Snell ran into trouble in the fifth inning. The fifth inning, not the sixth inning in the in game two. And that's where he, like, you know, just got them to ground into a nice little double play, but then he struggled the inning after. So... Or was it a double play? No, I believe he got Justin Turner to strike out. He got he induced a double play in Game Seven uh, when Charlie Morton was on the mound, and he got the Astros to ground into a double play, I believe. But regardless, so Nick Anderson is the wrong guy to bring in at a time like this uh, because he's had a bad postseason, even though he had a good regular season. But and it, she should have brought in someone else. But also, 
I kind of disagree with you on keep Blake Snell in because he's dealing. So you, so you think, so you don't like common sense either. Here's the thing about Blake Snell. I mentioned a couple things earlier. I mentioned that he had just thrown yes, his slowest fastball of the game. Velocity. Yeah. Also, yes. his slowest curveball of the game. He, it's, he wasn't quite there. He, it was just not quite what you wanted from Blake Snell, and so. He's the kind of guy, like, we know that he has a tendency to get wild during some of his starts. Obviously, like, it's not like he was really getting wild during this start, sort of the opposite of that. But at the same time, um, you kind of, like, want to make the decision that's going to, I don't know, because Kevin Cash basically was thinking what everyone was supposed to be thinking, that this is the most important inning of the game and this might end up being the most important inning of the world series and so i have to make sure i get an out in any way i can but oh my god bring in ryan yarborough please ryan yarborough who actually you know induces ground balls instead of nick anderson who is kind of there to get strikeouts that's the wrong guy to bring in at a time like this so i remember last year we had this whole discussion of like should they have kept zach Greinke in should they have brought garrett cole in should they have it was it the right decision to bring will harrison I think the what people settled on that it was probably the best idea to leave Granky in, but it would have been a dumb idea to bring Cole in at a point like this. I, like, I'm really against that, but okay. You think it would have been a good idea to bring Cole in in the middle of an inning? What men on base? No, 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 no. I'm saying the next person out of the bullpen should have been Cole. Seriously? Yes. All right, we're not going to relitigate 2019 here, but I just disagree wholeheartedly. Um, so. Who would you have brought in if you were Kevin Cash? Who like who would you be getting warm? Because remember, Nick Anderson was the only guy who was hot at, at this time because he was the guy who was warming up. But it, you kind if of if I had yeah. to put somebody in, is that what you're saying? If I had to put if you somebody had to in, put someone in, who are you putting in? Aaron Loop. Aaron Loop. He's a pretty good choice. Um, yeah, he Pete Fairbanks was the one who allowed the bomb to Mookie. But can we yeah, also talk, yeah? I would, have, I would have obviously put in a lefty. Yeah, but can we also talk about the insane sequence that happened right here? So it's not like uh, Kevin Cash uh, listened to the analytic gods and he took Blake Snell and brought Nick Anderson in and the whole world ended. No, that's not really what happened. What happened is that so Mookie Betts comes up. Mookie Betts, who is either the best or the second best hit on the you hitter on the Dodgers, at, referred to him by his real name, the luxury tax. Yeah, that's what the Red Sox uh, saved apparently by uh, not extending him. Uh, oh, and they got Alex Verdugo, which great news. Yeah, right. Alex and he was a he was, he was a two war win player this year. You know what? You know what? L- luxury nope luxury tax and you uh, got a two win player. You got to make that deal every single time. But I, I don't know if the Red Sox aren't going to re-sign him, and you're destined to have as terrible a season as you just did because your pitching is in the gutter. I kind of get it, but also well, like once again, I'm him. not not upset that we got rid of him because I see. It's obvious we're not going to be Red Sox aren't going to be competitive in the time frame in which we would sign him to a long term deal, and he's still in his prime. What I'm mad at is that we looked at Bruzdar Gratterall and said, "Guy who throws 102 with insane movement, pass." Yeah, Bruzdar Gratterall, amazing for the Dodgers. Hilariously, doesn't strike out anyone with that with that stuff, but actually induces an amazing ground ball rate. So Same thing with Dustin May. <laughs> yeah, I don't know Dustin yet. Yeah. Dustin May not having a crazy strikeout rate is a little surprising, although I guess it is a sinker that's his most dominant pitch, so maybe it's not too crazy, but he just throws so hard. But anyway, back to this. So yeah, Mookie Betts hits this like strange, this like 
little uh, line drive just to the right of the third base bag. It's it's a base hit. But what it does, instead of like in a normal I'm going to put in here. I'm putting in here. What? Okay. We've, we've seen this like happen this this playoffs like 10 times. Globe Field needs to f- needs to oh my get God. rid of that stupid thing. There's no, it does not serve any purpose. Like, it doesn't put, make like, want the fans to be able to see them. Put some freaking plexiglass there. It makes no sense. Just or just like you know, put some normal things like everyone else has that the ball is actually going to bounce off of uh, the bottom instead of like go to the field instead of getting trapped there. And the third baseman, the shortstop, or whoever it was, has to run there extend outward and just like throw the ball up in there and hope it gets back into the infield. That was kind of a travesty. Like if, if that ball bounces right to the left fielder, we don't even know if the guy gets the third base. And if he's not on third base and it's first and second, then maybe you just get to second and third on the wild pitch that happens when Nick Anderson buries a slider that Zunino can't, that guesses wrong on where it's going. And if it's not Mookie Betts on third base, then maybe when Corey Seager hits that dinky little ground out, then the Rays actually get the out in time. Who knows? And if that happens, then I don't even know what happens with Justin Turner, so who flies out, I believe, very loudly in his at-bat, which came out right after Corey Seager. It's like, if he flies out very loudly, but that's with two outs in the inning, then the suddenly the Dodgers haven't even scored any runs at all. So we can kind of blame it all on Globe Life Field. Is what I'm saying? Uh, okay. But do you see where I'm going with that? Yeah, I mean, like, obviously, I, I, I completely am a supporter of the of the fact that there's no reason why that's the layout in foul territory. Like, they might not, they might as well just not even have it angled toward the outfield. Yeah, it's not going to get there. So, yeah, I don't know what you do with that. Clearly, the Rangers ballpark is one of the strangers, one stranger ones that we've seen in our time. Like. Just you look at the outfield, it's got like this little like corners and everything goes everywhere and the walls are just like, oh, this one is this many feet backwards because of the number of this player and this is this many feet back because of this and this and this. And it's like they threw a bunch of stuff like saying the Rangers have history when the Rangers do not have history and have never won a World Series and will never win one. Um, But anyway, so one, one thing that I think is actually kind of funny we should mention is... Do you know who has the most career home runs in the history of that new Rangers ballpark? Uh, you texted to me. Yeah. Corey Seager, who played one series there in the regular season, and now the Dodgers played their last three postseason series there, has more home runs at Globe Life Field, like eight to six, than any Ranger does, which is hilarious and also makes so much sense because the Rangers suck. But even Joey Gallo couldn't do it. He has, Corey Seager has three more home runs at... Globe Life Field, the new one. Is, field. The yeah. new one is Globe Life Field. The old one next door was Globe Life Park. Corey Seager has eight homers at Globe Life Field. Rugnet Odor has six. Joey Gallo has five. Unbelievable. But also, Corey Seager kind of deserved that World Series MVP. All right. So then, yeah, so that's the sixth inning. Uh, yeah, so so basically, Dodgers score on a wild pitch. Mookie Betts goes third. Corey Seager hits a, like a fast like one or two hopper at uh, first base. And no one can get there, and the ball doesn't get there in time. So there you go. Uh, Mookie Betts slides home safely, like in a much smoother way than a Rosarena did in uh, game four. Which, did we mention that? That a Rosarena tumbled, basically? Yeah, Rosarena tumbles, <laughs> picks himself up, and slides into home. Mookie Betts slid into yeah, home, it, it, home perfectly. It 
like looking like looking at the replay there was just no reason that he fell down he tripped he tripped over himself it happens like if like he trips and there's like someone like standing in front of him like jonathan vr then i mean that's like another butt slide gif for centuries but unfortunately but he picks himself up like there's a good chance he was safe yeah on the butt slide he might have been, but like if a rose, if a Rosarena is not, it falls down and does not pick himself back up in time. That changes kind of everything about like not everything, but kind of a lot about how Rosarena is viewed after that game. But instead, uh, Will Smith can't hold onto the ball, and the ball just slides away from him, and the Rays win Game Four, but not the World Series. So yeah, so Rosarena is the only guy who can do damage. Uh, Brewster Gratterall, who we mentioned, comes in for Game Seven. Sorry, the seventh inning. Uh, he is not able to finish. Some runners get on Julio Orias, who we talked about as being so shut down in game seven against Atlanta. Comes in, seven up, seven down. As easy as you could do it. Just He, rem- he reminds me oh of God. Maeda when they used to use him yeah. as that kind of role. He was the he was the kind of the fifth starter uh, in the playoffs that would take lo- take like two plus innings out of the bullpen and he would just be amazing yeah we should mention that kenta maeda and hyunjin ryu both left the dodgers for different reasons but both were incredible in the al this year and like the dodgers were like eh, whatever we don't really need them this year it'll be fine without them and, and won the world series korean. what you're both korean yes but yeah orios was amazing uh he did get a couple of strikeouts which he did not actually he did not strike out anyone when he went three innings nine up nine down against atlanta but two th- actually, he got three strikeouts this time because it became the last one where he just winds up. It's his hardest pitch of the night, and he just throws that 97 right in the strike zone, and the Dodgers win. So the Dodgers have won this game. We mentioned that Justin Turner hit a loud fly in the sixth inning that eventually was caught, even though it was nearly a home run. Also, Mookie Betts, we should also mention, hit a home run to make it 3-1. In the bottom, in the bottom of the eighth, but I don't know, the Rays never scored again, so it's not like it mattered. But yeah, so Justin Turner does that, and then Fox is kind of confused about this, but he gets removed at third base, and no one really knows why. Sam, do you want to um, talk about what happened with Justin Turner? I don't. I kind of want to react to how you. I want you to start on this one. <sighs> okay, so from what I have seen. This may or may not be everything that's true. There may be different information that's out there. But so Justin Turner um, gets tested the day before the World Series. And the results for that test, like everyone else, like everyone does, the the Dodgers, we should mention, have are the only team that hasn't traveled at all since they got to where they're supposed to go in the division series. They've been in Arlington the entire time. Um and so Justin Turner, I assume, has not left the city. He's been in the city. But so Justin Turner, MLB also has had no positive cases this entire postseason, which is really good. But so his test results come back inconclusive during the second inning of game six. All right. That's a little worrisome, but okay. So what these players- debates about that, about how it happened. I know. I know there's a debate about it. I. I don't believe I believe that they would have taken him out if he had gotten a positive the day before and it's in the second inning. They did it when he was in the seventh inning, so I kind of would be surprised. And also Jeff Fasson said inconclusive, and I always believe Jeff Fasson. But anyway, so then they fast track his same day results. So like they test that one immediately as soon as I can. 
And in like the seventh or the, I think it was the eighth inning, they were like, oh, well, he's positive. So they take him out of the dugout into the clubhouse, into some room, I believe, where he was guarded by some MLB randos. Uh, and it gets passed on to Fox, like to the post-game show just after the game that Justin Turner tested positive for coronavirus. And there was so, no way that they were going to say yeah. that like while the game was happening. Yeah. Also, that what no one really know, like was paying much attention to, but suddenly everyone in the Dodgers uh, dugout had masks on. Which you look at and you're like, oh yeah, they're supposed to have masks on. Then you're like, wait, no one's been wearing masks really for this entire postseason. Why are they suddenly doing that now? And it's like the surgical ones instead of, you know, the regular ones that the players seem to wear or like the neck gaiters or whatever. And so then the celebration is happening where like everyone's on the field and is happy but also is wearing masks. And like people are just slowly realizing that like, oh, well, Actually, there was someone who was positive, and so probably everyone in the Dodgers dugout probably also got infected, and now they're celebrating on the field with wives and maybe kids, I don't know, and everything like that. There are also fans in the stands who we should mention, a lot of whom are not wearing masks, as we see on a couple shots of the stands. But anyway, then the trophy presentation is happening. This is still going on as, like, no one knows what to do about Justin Turner, and then... Like, there's an interview of, like, Rob Manfred after he hands off the, like, MV, World Series MVP to Corey Seager, where Fox is like, uh, what do we do about Justin Turner? And what does Manfred say? Oh, I don't even know. I, it was like, hard. It was... It's really unfortunate. Like, oh, man, it's, it's too bad that it happened right there. He's not doing anything to stop it, obviously. And then Justin Turner ends up back on the field. What? How does this happen? Justin Turner with the mask on first. And then... Sitting next to Dave Roberts, who, as many of us said, is a cancer survivor, they sit next to each other, all with their masks off, for a big picture around the trophy. I don't know about you, but I think this is extremely, extremely messed up. Personally, at first, I was like, my thought on it was, you can't blame Justin Turner too hard, because he it's literally a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Um, to celebrate a World Series championship with your teammates and also the fact that nobody actually was like acting as a bouncer and wouldn't let him through. But over the past few days, a more common sense has gotten to me and there's just no excuse for going for going on the field. Like two weeks later when you're cleared, you can you can 100% just like say, hey, I'm cleared now. We, let's party. Obviously, that that would that would still be kind of like iffy. Yeah, but you're you're not gonna get like Washington Capitals type of celebrations where everyone is drunk with the cup, like Ovechkin is barnstorming around the United States for a week. And but because obviously it's COVID, but understand the moment, maybe. Yeah, yeah. The worst part was not only Manfred's like whole like slurring of his words, but also Turner you know, kissing his wife on the mouth very openly and not really wearing a mask at all times. Yeah. Oh, geez. I I heard that like one, one of their wives was pregnant, I think, or one of the, and so, which is also really scary, something really scary to hear. But another thing, I want to mention another thing. Mookie Betts said, um, you know, he's, he's part of the team. There's no, there's, forget all that. He's celebrating with us. There's no way we we would want to celebrate without him which is very kind of bad 
a bad look because his teammate that he won the World Series with and was a teammate of only one year ago got COVID and now has a heart problem. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think the issue was is that they kind of took a very selfish viewpoint of things. And it's like, oh, Justin Turner's like, well, I feel great. So obviously, like, I'll be fine, which is they're it's a very much like kind of viewing it as like about themselves. So we won the World Series. We deserve to celebrate. Yeah, that's what should be happening. That's what we would all like to happen. But if you're endangering other people, then you're kind of being extremely tone deaf in the entire thing. And so like we know that when someone is old or like maybe is overweight or maybe like is immune, possibly immunocompromised, like we don't know if Dave Roberts is, that it could be extremely dangerous. And so just flaunting like, it. Imagine, imagine if Ron Gardenhire was the manager. Yeah, seriously. Someone who is an MLB manager is old, has cancer. What do you do? How do you feel in a situation like that? I mean, like, it's great that Justin Turner feels fine, but do you know another um, big, like, first baseman slash third baseman from the last series nearly died during the offseason getting COVID? Was, like, praying. Freddie Freeman was praying that, like, he would survive his experience with it. And um, we're glad he did, but he would know, like, that's a thing you take really seriously. It just seems like there's not enough understanding. It's like... With a country that has been slowly trying to make its way back from this for so long and running into a lot of bumps in the road, showing that, and I don't know how many countless like weddings and bar mitzvahs and the like, or high school graduations, college graduations, like ours is probably going to end up being, uh, have been happening, saying, well, even though we know that this is actually a much worse situation because you actually have a specific case instead of just like a worry about it, you're gonna be like, yeah, whatever. But like, we're really happy and this never is going to happen again. You're never going to win your first World Series again. It just strikes me as such, I don't know, it's it's very tone deaf. And it's obviously a horrible look for MLB. But I also think that MLB itself carries a lot of the same risk because can we mention that this is not a bubble? They, they were not living in a bubble during this time. This was not some kind of thing where they tested everyone, made them wait for two weeks, and um, made sure that no one was in, no one was out. No, they had fans in the stands. They had like 11,000 fans in the stands because they wanted to make a bunch of money. MLB could have spent like the NBA did and actually had like a complex where they played their postseason, but nope, they didn't. And of course, bookending the season because <laughs> Juan Soto tests positive on day one of the season as the Nationals are about to try to defend their World Series title and ends up missing a couple of weeks for testing positive. And MLB is shown to just be inept at handling how they test people at that point, even now when they seem to be really good and they're able to fast track a test, bookending the season, Justin Turner tests positive and the World Series celebration is forever marred. I think MLB, it, like, they're deflect- they've been deflecting a lot of this with their like press release saying, there's no way that he should have been lit on the field. It's inexcusable by him when that's literally because of, you know, their ineptitude. And I also am like one of the, it might be one of the biggest what ifs uh, in sports. What happens if the Rays win the game? Yeah. Then, There's no way that they yeah. play another game for like another two weeks. Exactly. Like the earliest you can probably play the game is in a week. 
Like, let's say somehow he infected nobody else, which, which I feel is highly unlikely. Game seven, you have two weeks to prepare for a game seven. Yeah, but not only do you have two weeks to prepare for a game seven, but also the MLB is getting a ton of bad press because suddenly you just having having a player test positive for COVID is never a good thing press wise. And so you have these players who are just like probably stuck in some hotel in Dallas for two weeks. I bet a lot of them who aren't positive for COVID are probably itching to get out and just want to go home which now none of them can do because of the way Justin Turner acted partially. But this is, yeah, this is a black mark on the end of what has been one of the strangest seasons we've seen in a while. But man, what kind of competitive advantage is it if you have a game? Oh, do you have like Clayton Kershaw versus Blake Snell in game seven and everyone gets a do-over? Like, I really love talking about this stuff because it's something that I, I honestly don't know what the answer to it would be. Yeah. Well, and be even more of an asterisk on the title. I think we know the answer. The answer just friggin' sucks. The answer is they play a game seven in two weeks' time, and whoever wins that wins the World Series, and it feels like just a joke because uh, it's it's like they played a wild card game. Yeah, but I, I'm one of the things is who gets who is more mad if they lose? I don't know who's it's more mad. Be the, Dodgers. the Dodgers? Yeah. I don't know if it is. I mean, Charlie Morton was still going to pitch in game seven, and... I feel like Charlie Morton in Game 7 is the one guy you can trust. And the Dodgers, like, if you want to be mad about that, then maybe win Game 6 and tell Justin Turner not to go out. And I don't know what he did. I'm sure we're never going to find out how he got it. I don't know if, even know if he knows out how knows how he got it. But you, you've only the only person you have to blame is yourself if you're the Justin Turner or if you're the Dodgers if you then lose Game 6. Here's a possibility. Do, they, do you think they suspend Turner in for the Game 7? Oh, absolutely. I would love to see happen. I, th- I think Turner definitely gets suspended. If he's the only guy who's tested positive the entire playoffs and he's, well, actually, maybe I'm wrong because I'm thinking this from the perspective, oh, Justin Turner went on the field and that's a black mark. I almost think that Justin Turner would get suspended, should only get suspended for going on the field, not just for getting it. If he gets it, like, we don't know how it happened. Maybe like his wife well, was at the grocery I'm store and got it and gave it to him or something. Sure. What? I'm 100% sure that MLB knows and everybody in that circle knows how he got it. Okay. Well, that's probably fair. Listen. Yeah. He absolutely went out at some point or like without a mask. He, from the way that he's carrying himself, it seems right. There's two, there's two things that could, he could have gotten out and gotten it, which is, you know, a bad look for both MLB and Justin Turner. Or he could have somehow gotten it with a fan from a fan. Like in an is, earlier game? Or something. Yeah. yeah. Like something which is a horrible look for the mlb not having first of all having fans there and second of all not like not doing having eleven thousand fans in a stadium listen i know texas can do it i know texas like has their things which like yeah come on back we've got baseball but it just it just it was i perceived it as like the whole thing is just like MLB really just doesn't care about anything but money. Yeah, sports are a reward for a functioning society, and MLB and sports instead think that uh, money is the reward for existing. <sighs> and yeah, like Rob Manfred has whined a couple times recently. Oh, we're so in debt because of this season. We're also like, we don't have any money because we paid the players for this season. I think we talked about this. They would. They're still making so much profit. Yeah, like. 
I don't want to hear that. Like, we also could have had baseball for 100 games, and it was Rob Manfred specifically who was like, nah, not doing it. Everyone wanted to play, and he was like, nope, nope. They were the one they're like, tell, tell us when. He was like, nah, actually, let's want to do 50. Could we do 50? And that's why the season felt so strange. The playoffs, the playoffs were actually extremely exciting. I kind of like this format. And I don't, I don't think it would be the best format for every season, but it was really good for a season like this. What I didn't like, and I think that they should change, is playing the series um, in, in consecutive days. I think it's unfair to the pitchers. Yeah, the the series, like, I'm sure changed just because of, like, when pitchers could go and when pitchers couldn't like the go. The Braves win the series if they have, you know, two days off. Exactly. And... The Rays also probably do because they ended up burning out a lot of their relievers. And so in games four and five and six, I know they, well, they won the series, no, but they didn't burn the relievers. It was just the relievers didn't do well. I, I honestly, if I think the Rays and Dodgers would benefit slash not benefit equally. Yeah. Uh, in that Maybe the Yankees game. actually benefit more. I don't know. I think the Indians benefit. Indians? Maybe. Probably. But unfortunately, oh, this is what we get. We want to we, we want to use sports to escape for just one bit, but unlike in basketball where we were able to talk about just what was going on on the court for pretty much the entire time, this is what we get with baseball. It they did it differently. They accepted the risk that came with it, or or it seemed or they should have accepted the risk that came with it. Instead, they seem to want to ignore a lot of those risks and say it wasn't their fault when the bad things that everyone assumed was going to happen did in fact happen. I think it's obviously basketball handled it the best. I think I don't think hockey they they handled it from a safety perspective really well, but hockey is a, is one of the games that is much better to watch when there's fans. Yeah, it's just a bunch of like skating in an empty arena feels so fake. I know that a lot of the players hate it. I know the basketball players loved it from an entertainment perspective. You almost didn't need fans at a lot of those points. But just watching it. But in hockey, you absolutely did. I don't know. Baseball was actually relatively entertaining. I got to say, I enjoyed watching a lot of the baseball this season just because it felt like we weren't going to have any. But... At first, I was, I was kind of like on the, I kind of liked the fake crowd noise. But as the season went on, it was clear to me that the it was so like poorly done. Like there was always a delay that it was like really, it was really bad. The one thing that I liked was when Fox on like their friday games or like their saturday games would like transpose um like fans in the stands that was all really interesting the first time i saw that i was like wait did they actually bring people back and then obviously i replayed it and it was clearly fake people but yeah but you had to replay yeah. which was the thing it was like from that camera it was very like you could tell like when a fat when a home run would go into the stands and nobody would move yeah but like when, but the first time when you see the ball get hit, I think this is like with Francisco Lindor specifically hitting a home run, you see the ball get hit and you're like, wait a minute, is it going to land in the, the stands? Yeah. But then like you said, nobody moved. So you know, it's always happening. Yeah. So post. Oh, I have I, another thing that I, that like, it was very hard to see where home runs landed. That's true. Yeah. Because it, it was hard for the cameras to pick it up because they hadn't, didn't have any fans like showing you moving in a spot. Either moving, getting like there's there's always a nice like when the ball's landing, there's always like a nice like sea of hands that converge to one spot, and there's always like yeah people like turning their heads. So post mortem on the season, is there anything that you want to specifically talk about, or have we about summed it all up? 
Um, like I said, I I don't like the consecutive days thing. Yeah, sixteen um, game, sixteen team playoffs. What do you think about that? I love I loved it personally. Wasn't it a lot of fun? I mean, it was a lot of fun because there was more potential for upsets. Yeah, and every sport could like... use upsets in the playoffs. I'm sorry, every sport can use more upsets in the playoffs. Yeah, basketball just really doesn't have many. Like I sort of view it as like everyone's gonna watch like the last couple of rounds. So even if the games aren't as exciting, it doesn't matter because if all the games are really really fun in the first couple of rounds, then people are hooked anyway. That's like sort of how March Madness views it. Like when VCU and Butler get to the final and like the final four, and you're like, wait, these teams aren't actually like any good. He's like, whatever. They got here. That was crazy. More of a focus on like just. Im- being impressed which teams make it to the lcs's how about the wild card series i i much much bigger fan of three games than one that was a lot of fun i wish we could have that regularly but it makes sense that they're only doing it if they actually have like a bunch of teams in it like that um it makes a trade deadline obviously not very exciting and this was obviously going to be in the a pretty bad trade line deadline anyway since literally no minor leaguers were playing but it still was Actually, was a better trade deadline than we expected. Now that I'm remember recalling it, because the Padres traded for everybody. Yeah, weird season. Absolutely. Yeah. But regardless, it went relatively well. There was a lot of fun baseball. There were a lot of exciting teams that we hope they're going to get to see play 162 games next season, like the Padres, like the new look White Sox, having just hired Tony Larusa, of all people, to be their manager. Ten ten year gap between. Uh, teams manage, but that'll be interesting to say the least. I always think it's weird when people say I'm retiring because I don't think anybody actually believes them. Yeah, unless you're like really old. Well, unless you're like a player who's at the tail end of his career. Yeah. Larusa, I definitely think there's no way that Bochi doesn't manage another game. Really? There's well, Bochi, yeah. Yeah, you know what? I guess in like a couple of seasons, Bochi like is probably gonna get like kicked around again like oh he's kind of bored at home he wants to like have a few more seasons like managing a contender they they just fired their manager because they're trying to get to the next level very much yeah like all the white Sox right now i could see that i'm i'm for it i like bruce bochi a lot but thank you to the 2020 mlb season we're gonna be talking off season because the off season is happening relatively like basically immediately since players are allowed to talk with Uh, other teams in just a few days we've already heard some interesting rumors we're going to talk baseball next time we're going to talk basketball next time it's going to be a lot of fun and we'll see you till then